Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, I want to say uh, thanks, Caitlin, for uh, leading us in that. Um, recognise that it can be a little bit intimidating, so it's one of those things where it's like, oh, sharing with other people, like, it's scary. Uh, but one of the things that I um, am very, very conscious of in a lot of the conversations I'm having uh, with a lot of you at the moment is that there are a lot of us that are going through a lot of stuff. And part of that is that it's that time of year, part of that is three years' worth of COVID stuff, uh, part of it is just life. Um, and one of the biggest traps that I've been really kind of wrestling with and processing and praying through this week is the reality that the biggest danger for us is that A, we think we're the only one who's going through that, and B, we think that we have to go through that on our own because if we don't want to be a burden on other people. And we talk a lot about being family at Richmond. That's language that we use, and we genuinely mean it. Like, it's not just kind of a, a throwaway thing. But family is complex, and family means that we are vulnerable and that we're willing to open up and to share those things with each other. And so uh, I want to applaud you for the courage of asking us to do that and sharing uh, part of what's been going on for you. Um, but I want to encourage all of us to continue to take courageous steps in that direction. And if you are wondering, as Caitlin said, about like who can I talk to about that, then please do come and have a conversation with me. I would be happy to uh, have a conversation with you, but also we want to find ways of connecting you uh, with others because we don't want to pretend to be a community that's got everything together. That's not what following Jesus is all about. <laughs> we are a community that is working through all the stuff that's a part of our lives. And sometimes that's good things, but a lot of the time that's hard things and that's okay. And so we want to model that. Um, and so, yeah, I know there's lots of us who are going through a lot at the moment. And my big prayer as we head towards the end of this year is not that those things will get solved because for a lot of us they're not going to but that we can continue to become a community that is really vulnerable and really open and honest with each other so that we feel like this is a great place for us to be able to come no matter what's going on in our lives. So thanks for opening up with us and thanks for your vulnerability and courage and sharing whatever it is in uh, that little bit that you've just done. So, I'm conscious of where this question is going to go now. So, to start our message, uh, I want to ask you, how do you feel about sharing with other people about Jesus? Speaking of things that make us feel anxious and scared and <laughs> worried and kind of... <sighs> and I actually want you to think about someone in your life, someone specific. So that could be uh, a friend, that could be someone at work, someone at uni or school, could be someone who's a part of your extended family, uh, someone in your life who you really would love to be able to talk to about Jesus. We need to picture that and picture the idea of having a conversation with them. What are the emotions that come to the surface for you? Because I think for a lot of us, it is that sense of like, oh, I don't know if I want to do that. I don't want to be that guy. <laughs> I don't want to come across that way. I don't want to offend someone. Uh, hopefully for some of us, there is a sense of excitement about what that could look like. But I think for a lot of us, it can be really intimidating. So I want you to now think of that same person. But now I want you to think about how you feel about talking to them about a movie that you have just seen or that you're excited to be able to see that's coming up. We're going to see the new Black Panther movie on Friday, so very excited about that. So think about a movie or think about a song that you hear from your favourite band or your favourite artist or think about a book that you've read. So that same person, how do you feel when you think about talking to them about that? 
Because I think it's fascinating that for most of us, there's a pretty big gap. That when we think about sharing about some of those other things, like, oh, we're really excited, we just want to tell them this is something that's important to us. And yet, when we think about having spiritual conversations, and particularly when we think about talking about Jesus, we can kind of go in a completely different direction. So today, we're going to spend a bit of time unpacking one encounter around sharing about Jesus and uh, some things that we can learn from that. And so we're continuing our series called Where To From Here, uh, where we've been spending a bit of time in Acts, looking at the journey of the early church and uh, some things that we can learn from that journey about what it means for us to start this new chapter and this new season that we're in as a church and where it is uh, that God is leading us. So a couple of weeks ago, we talked about uh, the first disciples, the first followers, uh, having the encounter with the Holy Spirit and receiving the Holy Spirit. And then last week, uh, Janice helped us to wrestle with our expectations about what it is that we think God should be doing, and the reality that for all of us, no matter what's going on, we really just need to take simple steps of obedience in order to move forward into what it is that God's got for us. And so today, we're going to see what happens when we take those two things together, empowered by the Holy Spirit and taking simple steps of obedience. Uh, And so I am pleased to say that uh, if you have missed any of our messages over the last few weeks, our podcasts are now up to date. So that has happened, so uh, we will try and stay on top of those now. Um, But if you have missed any, particularly if you missed last week's, Janice did a spectacular job, and so go back and have a listen to that. But going all the way back to our Q&R week, they're all up to date now, other than Mark's. Sorry, Mark, because we had some technical difficulties. So you can just ask him, and he'll be happy to share the whole message with you again. (laughs) So if you've got your Bible with you, uh, you can open up to Acts chapter 8, because that's where we're going to spend some time today. If you've got the Bible app, uh, you can open up to more down the bottom and then events, and I'll uh, be able to find Richmond, and our, our notes are there. If you've got your notebook or your journal with you to jot things down, I uh, encourage you to do that. So I want to fill in uh, a few gaps, so a bit of a recap of where things have happened over the last little while for the early church. So honestly, things for the early church have been going really, really great. Lots of people have been receiving the message of Jesus and been excited about that. Uh, People's lives are being transformed. All these spectacular things are going on around them. There's this awesome sense of community that they've developed together. So things are in a really, really great place. Now, sure, there are some mild inconveniences, like being thrown in prison. But when you are rescued from prison by an angel, that turns into a pretty great story. And so everything's going really, really well for the early church. However... The resistance to this revolution that the early church has started really starts to kick up a notch as we head into Acts chapter 7. And one of the key leaders of the early church, this guy named Stephen, gets dragged before the religious council, uh, the same group of people that Peter and his friends were dragged uh, before that we looked at last week. And Stephen again tries to help them to understand this is who Jesus is. This is what Jesus has come to do. Like, just come on, guys. It's not that hard. Get your heads around it. Uh, They're not thrilled with what he has to say. Probably a mild understatement because they end up dragging him out of the city and stoning him to death. And so that is not a good thing for the early church. Certainly not a good thing for Stephen. And we have this seemingly strange note at the end of chapter 7 and the start of chapter 8 about this guy named Saul who is standing there looking after the coats of all of the people who are stoning Stephen and approving of Stephen's death. Now, we know that shortly, as we head through the rest of Acts, Saul has his own encounter with Jesus and is radically transformed and becomes Paul, the guy who ends up taking the message of Jesus far and wide. But at this stage in the story, 
the killing of Stephen really ramps up the persecution against the early church, kind of emboldens a bunch of other people to say, yes, let's wipe these guys out and get rid of them. So because of that, the church ends up scattering. They've, up until this point, spent a lot of time just in Jerusalem, but now they have to scatter out of the city and go to all of these different places because of the fear of what's going to happen to them if they don't. And so at this point, it kind of seems like everything's been derailed and everything has gone sideways. There's this level of frustration that the early church must have felt, like everything was going so well. Everything was in such a good place. The church was growing. People's lives were being changed. Why do we have to be inconvenienced by this persecution and this stuff that's going on for us? And as I was thinking about that story, I thought, that sounds eerily familiar. So maybe how some of us are feeling about our journey over the last few years. That if we think back to 2018, 2019, and where we were as a church, with so many good things that were happening, a church was growing, new people were joining us, people's lives were being transformed, we're connecting with people in the community around us, there's all these great things that are going on. Then we have COVID, then we have staff transitions, then we get this news that our building's being acquired, and some of us are maybe feeling the same way. It's like, God, why did you have to stop everything? Everything was going so well. Why do we have to be inconvenienced when things were moving in the right direction? What's interesting for us to reflect on is that Jesus' final instructions to the early church, to his first followers, were to go and share the message about him, not just in Jerusalem, but to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus' instructions to the church were, tell people locally, yes, about my message, but make sure you keep going. Go further out regionally, go further out nationally, go internationally and tell people about my message. And what we can see is that the early church, and yes, it's only early on, but had kind of bunkered down in Jerusalem. And you can imagine that it would have been very tempting for them to just get very, very comfortable there and to stay there. And there's an interesting question about whether it took the persecution that the early church went through in order for them to get scattered and to go and fulfill what it was that Jesus was calling them to do. And I wonder whether there's some helpful wisdom in us as well as we process through the things that we're processing through. And that's not to say that I believe that our building is being acquired so that we can go and scatter to the far ends of the earth. That's not the point I'm trying to make. But maybe it does help us to recalibrate and to zoom in again on what it is that Jesus is really calling us to do. What is our purpose? What is the essence of who we are? What's the best version of us? And how do we make sure that we're focused on having the impact that Jesus wants us to have wherever that is, rather than just kind of bunkering down where we are? So we pick up the narrative then as we move further into chapter 8 with another of the key leaders from the early church, this guy named Philip, heading out to Samaria. So he's one of the people who leaves the city and goes to this area called Samaria, and uh, more great things happen. He tells people about Jesus, they decide they want to follow Jesus, people are getting baptised, they receive the Holy Spirit, everything's going awesome. And then we pick up the story in Acts chapter 8, verse 26. So as for Philip... An angel of the Lord said to him, go south down the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out and he met the treasurer of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under the Kandaki, the queen of Ethiopia. The eunuch had gone to Jerusalem to worship and he was now returning. Seated in his carriage, he was reading aloud from the book of the prophet Isaiah. The Holy Spirit said to Philip, go over and walk alongside, along beside the carriage. Philip ran over and heard the man reading from the prophet Isaiah. And Philip asked, do you understand what you're reading? 
The man replied, how can I unless someone instructs me? And he urged Philip to come up into the carriage and sit with him. So this follows on really well from what we talked about last week, about this idea of just taking simple steps of obedience. Sometimes we can be so overwhelmed with the big questions that we wrestle with in life. What's God want me to do with my life? What's my purpose? Why am I here? Wrestling with these huge questions that we forget to zoom in and just say, what does faithful obedience look like today? Because the reality is, if I do what Jesus wants me to do today, and each moment of today, and then tomorrow, do the same thing, and then the next day, do the same thing. Then by next week, I'll be where Jesus wants me to be, and next month, I'll be where Jesus wants me to be, and next year, I'll be where Jesus wants me to be. But rather than focusing on the big picture, sometimes we need to just zoom in on the day-to-day stuff. And certainly, that's been a part of my journey, that when I think back on some of the amazing things that have happened in our lives, it's not because I had this grand plan It's just been simple steps of obedience. So many of you know that we moved and lived in Canada for seven and a half years. That wasn't because of some amazing grand plan that we came up with where we planned for that and sorted it all out. It was just some very simple steps of obedience that led to us being able to have this awesome opportunity there. Then this year, again, processing some big picture questions, yes, but uncertain about what any of that looks like and just taking some faithful steps of obedience through the first part of this year until I get tapped on the shoulder by someone who says, have you thought about applying for the role at Richmond? And now here we are, simple steps of obedience day by day that enable us to end up where it is that Jesus wants us to be. And so Philip models this beautifully for us. Because he doesn't get any really grand plan about this is where you need to go. He just gets really simple instructions and these prods from the Holy Spirit. Go for a walk along this road. Not about you, but if I kind of sensed that one morning, get up, had breakfast, I'm like, get this, (laughs) go for a walk along this road. I would want some more answers. Like, (laughs) where are we going? How long are we going for? Do I need to pack a lunch? Do I need to take some clothes? (laughs) Like, where am I going on this road? Where is this road going to lead me? But... Just gets told, go for a walk. So he does go for a walk. And he sees the treasure of Ethiopia cruising along in what is probably a very fancy carriage. And he senses that he's supposed to go over and stand next to the carriage. So he just walks over obediently and stands next to the carriage. He hears the Ethiopian treasurer reading from the book of Isaiah. And so feels prompted to ask a very simple question. Do you understand what you're reading? And the Ethiopian gives this great response to Philip. How can I discover more unless someone instructs me? Now the translations of that are unless someone guides me or unless someone helps me to be able to interpret what it is that I'm reading. And that, I think, is very helpful for us as we think about the culture around us, that there are lots and lots of people that we encounter on a regular basis who are wrestling with lots of questions as well. Am I in the right job? How do I have a healthy relationship? How do I raise my kids? What's my purpose? How do I find peace? How am I supposed to find hope? As we've talked about this morning, why is there not more justice in the world? I'm sure you know people in your lives who are wrestling with a lot of those sorts of questions. And the challenge for us is to say, where are they turning to find the answers? My suspicion is the number one place that they're turning is the internet, followed closely by things like podcasts and self-help books. I would imagine most people are on this individual journey where they're just trying to find the answers themselves. And we know that there are so many people around us who are so isolated and wrestling with all of these questions on their own. 
and wonder where on earth am I supposed to turn? Who am I supposed to talk to about this? And we have these amazing opportunities to not feel like we have to have all the answers, but to just come alongside of people and say, how are you going processing that? What's the next thing that you're thinking about? Do you want to talk about that a little bit more? Do you want to unpack that a bit more? Who's guiding the people around us? Who's helping them to be able to interpret what it is that they're processing through? Well, verse 32, the passage of Scripture that the Ethiopian had been reading was this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. He was humiliated and received no justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, was the prophet talking about himself or someone else? And so beginning with this same scripture, Philip told him the good news about Jesus. Now we know that that passage comes from Isaiah chapter 53, verses 7 and 8, a key passage that helps us to understand some of what Jesus uh, came to do and what Jesus' experience was. But you can understand how for this treasurer, who didn't have any context for that, he was a little bit confused. What is actually going on here? And so Philip starts from the questions that he's wrestling with and finds his way ultimately back to Jesus. And this, again, is something that's helpful for us to recognise, that in the culture around us, people are starting from all different places. And we can't have some one-size-fits-all packaged answer of what the message of Jesus is. Or it's like, if you just follow this script, this magic set of words, then people will follow Jesus. We have to start where people are at but then be able to say, how do we make our way back to Jesus? And sometimes that can feel a little bit like a maze because we kind of feel like we're heading in a good direction, we're having good conversations, and sometimes it feels like we hit a dead end. Sometimes it might even feel like we're doubling back a little bit. But our focus is on how do we get to the centre? How ultimately do we come back to Jesus? But even that can feel really intimidating. So again, is where we come back to what we asked at the start. Is there a sense of us feeling intimidated? How do I share about Jesus? And so it's really important for us to note a few things. First of all, we don't have to have all the answers. I don't know about you, but that's often one of the things that gets in the way of me having conversations with people. What if they ask a question that I don't know, and then that messes the whole thing up, and they never talk to me about Jesus or spirituality again, because I couldn't answer this one question, so I won't start. We don't have to have all of the answers. All we need to do is share what we do know. What is our experience of Jesus? What do we know about Jesus? And even more than that, why is Jesus important to me? What difference has Jesus made in my life? Why am I following Jesus? What difference does it make that I'm connected to a community of other people who are also processing what it means to follow Jesus? But also, what are the questions that I'm wrestling with? What are the struggles that I'm going through? And how does Jesus speak into those as well? We don't have to have all of the answers. We just need to share what we do know and where we're at and move forward from there. But we also need to learn how to trust in the relationships that we've got with people. I think most people now value authenticity more than they do us being able to be experts. People would rather talk with someone that's authentic and real and genuine than someone who seems like they've got all of the answers. And we need to trust that, that in the relationships that we're cultivating with the people around us, they just want us to be real. They want us to be honest. And as we do that, that gives confidence in us sharing our experience and what's going on for us. And then in the midst of that, we also need to trust 
in the Holy Spirit, as we've talked about over the last few weeks. Just to trust that the Holy Spirit is going to give us the right words at the right time, the right question to be able to ask, the right memory that comes to mind of a story that we can share with them to help them in their processing. We don't have to have it all sorted out. We just have to trust in our relationships and our experiences and share that with the people that we're journeying with. I'm also challenged, though, as I look at this interaction, about whether we're willing to be courageous enough to ask people if they want to read the Bible with us. Because this, again, when we think about the people around us, how many of them, like the Ethiopian, are turning to Scripture to find answers? I don't imagine that it's a lot. I think there are some people who probably are, but more and more our culture has moved away from that. And so, as I said, people are searching the internet or all sorts of other places to find answers, but not ultimately coming back to Scripture. So are we willing to be courageous enough in those relationships of trust that we've got to be able to say, would you be interested in reading the Bible with me? Again, we don't have to have all of the answers, we don't have to have it sorted out, but just to be able to read together, what does this mean to you? What questions does this raise for you? This is what I get out of this passage. This is what I'm processing that comes out of that. These are the questions that I'm left with. That's something that could be really, really helpful and really powerful, particularly for people who've never opened the Bible up before. So if that's something that you do feel like you would like to do, we'd love to have some conversations around that. If you're like, I wouldn't even know where to start with that, come and have a conversation. We'd love to talk more about that. Well, back to the passage, verse 36, as they rode along, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, there is some water. Why can't I be baptized? He ordered the carriage to stop, and they went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. Now, I would say there's been a little bit of a jump that's happened between 35 and 36 here, because we go from Philip starting to talk about Jesus to there's some water, why can't I get baptized? So clearly there were some other conversations that had gone on here. Uh, It's probably good because, again, we'd look for the magic formula here. But there's an assumption that the conversation had gone pretty well and that this Ethiopian had understood who Jesus was and that Philip had said, is that something that you would like to follow Jesus and to kind of put your trust in him? And obviously the Ethiopian said yes and that then Philip explained what baptism was to him and he was like, well... Let's go. So I thought it would be helpful to just make sure that we all know what baptism is because sometimes we have different understandings about what baptism is based on where we've come from. And so I don't know whether this is what Philip would have shared, but I imagine that it would have been something similar to these lines. The baptism for us is a spiritual practice where we do something symbolic as an outward sign of an inward decision that we've made. So we make a decision to follow Jesus and we do something outward and symbolic to demonstrate what that is. And a helpful way of thinking about this is to think about a wedding. So two people make a decision to get married to each other and commit to their lives uh, for the rest of their lives. And so they then do something public and something symbolic. They have a wedding to show everyone else. This is a decision that we've made, an outward symbol of an inward decision that they've made. We also wear uh, clothing of our favourite bands and singers. We wear sporting clothing of our favourite sporting teams. And in some ways, that's an outward sign of an inward decision, something public that we do as well. We would say following Jesus and baptism are much more important than those things, but it's still a helpful analogy. And so there's this beautiful symbolism in what baptism is all about, that we use water in baptism as a way of being able to recognise that what Jesus does for us is to wash us clean. 
that all of the sin in our lives, which is all of the barriers that we put up between ourselves and God and ourselves and other people, all the times that we mess up, all of the mistakes that we make, all of the times that we operate with anything other than others-centered love, we're forgiven for all of those things because of Jesus' death and resurrection. And so part of baptism is us recognizing that we've been washed clean. We baptize people by immersion as a symbol of that being complete. There's no part of us that is untouched by what Jesus has done for us. There is nothing that we have done, nothing that we're going to do that is not forgiven by Jesus. So we immerse people for that reason. But we also immerse people because there's this beautiful symbolism about dying and rising again. So symbolically what we do in baptism is that we say, I'm dying to my way of life, dying to my priorities, dying to putting me as number one in my life, and coming back to life to say, Jesus, you are number one in my life. You are King Jesus. You are Lord Jesus. You're the most important one in my life, and I'm going to take all of my cues from you, not from myself. So the treasurer has obviously had all of that explained to him, and he's like, we don't know whether it was like a river or a lake or a small puddle, <laughs> he's like, there's some water. Why shouldn't I get baptized? Why can't I get baptized? And this is a passage that has always challenged me about baptism because I think sometimes we fall into the trap of thinking that we have to get ourselves together before we get baptized. Once I know enough, or once I'm living the way that I know Jesus wants me to live, that's the point that I'll get baptized. We kind of see it as the end of the journey. But in actual fact, baptism is supposed to be the recognition of the start of a journey. And again, if we come back to this uh, picture of what marriage looks like, it would kind of be like a couple saying, we have made the decision that we want to commit to each other, but we're not going to have our wedding until we know everything about marriage and we can guarantee that we're going to live faithfully together as a married couple for the rest of our lives. So we'll just hold off until we've got that sorted and then we'll get married. Think about that this week. As you know, Ali and I have been married for a bit over 25 years now, and so I was thinking back to what we knew when we first <laughs> got together. <laughs> like We had no clue whatsoever. If we'd waited until we had even what we know now under control, it would have been a very long journey. And I know there are some of you who have been married a lot longer than us, and you have even more experience in that. It's the beginning of the journey, the public declaration and the symbolic demonstration to say we've made this decision to commit to spending the rest of our lives to work out what this looks like. And that's what baptism is for us as well. We do want to recognize that it is us making a declaration to say Jesus is King Jesus. And we don't want to take that lightly, but sometimes we can overthink it a little bit. And sometimes the most important question for us to ask is the one that the Ethiopian treasure asks. Why can't I be baptized? Or why shouldn't I be baptized? Rather than saying, why should I be, give me all of the reasons and convince me, some of us were in a place where the question is actually, why shouldn't I be? And we move forward from there. So I'm really, really excited that I've already been having this conversation with some of you about what baptism is all about. And so we're going to have a baptism information session on November the 20th, so in a couple of Sundays' time, uh, after our time together. We're just going to spend uh, some time together being able to talk about that, but also to answer any questions that you might have about what baptism is or the logistics around it and to be able to process where you're at. So as I said, I'm encouraged that there's a number of you that are already asking those questions. So if you uh, decide you want to come 
along to that. It won't just be you and I. It won't be super intimidating. There'll be others there, strength in numbers. Uh, but we would love to have those conversations and perhaps even have a baptism service between now and the end of the year, which I think would be one of the most amazing ways that we could finish up 2022, is to be able to celebrate the decisions that some people have made. So if you want to know more about that, uh, or if you're not going to be around on the 20th, then come and chat. Love to talk more. Back to the text then. Verse 39, when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. The eunuch never saw him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Meanwhile, Philip found himself farther north in the town of Azotus. He preached the good news there and in every town along the way until he came to Caesarea. So this is what's amazing. That's the end of their journey together. They have this interaction and then they never ever see each other again. But think of the impact that that would have had on both of them. Many people believe that the Ethiopian treasurer is the one who then started the church in Ethiopia. And we can imagine that if he was really passionate about Jesus and what he discovered, he probably would have shared that with other people. And so in some ways, as my mind kind of wanders, I can see the message of Jesus fanning out from Ethiopia into other parts of Africa because of this interaction with this man. Something that I've been challenged about this week as I've thought about that is why we know nothing about that. When we talk about the early church, and we spend a lot of time, particularly in the last kind of couple of decades, going back to the essence of the early church, what's the early church all about? When we think about the early church, we think primarily about the early church that was initially in the Middle East, but then moved rapidly into Europe, and then everything that happened over the next couple of centuries from there. What happened in the early church in Africa? And what would be different about our understanding of what church looks like if we said, well, let's take some cues from how the church got established in Africa and took off from there? I think there's some interesting questions for us to wrestle with around that. But for Philip as well, you can imagine this would have had a pretty amazing impact on him. Remember how much clarity he had about what his day was going to look like. Go for a walk along that road. <laughs> and at the end of the day, he would have been like, that was a good decision. I'm glad I took that walk. That was awesome. Simply following the promptings of the Spirit, he gets to have this conversation, see someone respond to the message of Jesus, and be able to baptize them, and then gets magically transported away to the wonderful land of Azotus, and away he goes. So I want to give us an opportunity to reflect on what this looks like for us, with this very simple question, what are the nudges that God is giving me? Where am I feeling God maybe just giving me a little bit of a nudge this morning? And here is where I want to make sure that our focus is not then on zooming out and thinking about, well, it must be something big that God is going to say to me, something very powerful that God is going to share with me as a clear nudge. Remember Philip's instructions. Go and take a walk. Go and stand next to that carriage. Go and listen to what's going on there. Ask a question. So the nudge that you might hear could be something very, very simple along those lines. And specifically, I want you to think about the week that's coming up for you, so the things that you've got coming up, and particularly the people that you're going to interact with. Are there people that you know that you're going to see this week who are searching, who are looking for something, who are looking for answers, who are wrestling with big questions? Is there any chance that as you head into this week, God might just give you a little bit of a nudge to say, hey, go and sit next to them, or ask this question, or just listen? and see where that goes. We don't need to overthink it. We don't need to have all the answers. But is there something that comes to mind? 
And once again, I recognise that as, that as we think about what that looks like, it could kind of raise a level of intimidation for us. It's like, oh, I don't know, that sounds really, really scary. I'd love us to flip the script and think about Philip's experience at the end of that day. Rather than thinking about all the things that could go wrong in that conversation or all the ways that that might be scary and terrible, what could happen if we opened ourselves up to these simple promptings? What if we simply said, God, I'm available to whatever it is that you want to do in me and through me as I head into this week? What could that mean for someone else? What transformation could happen in someone else's life? What stories could be shared? What impact could that have in an ongoing way because of the conversation that we have? So with all that background, I want us to just zoom in and try and think of one thing as we spend our week ahead. Is there one nudge that you feel like God might be giving you? Take some time to reflect, and then we'll come back and we'll pray together. Jesus, thank you that you meet us where we're at. That in the midst of our wrestling, in the midst of our questions, in the midst of our struggles, in the midst of our joys, you meet us there. That you don't demand that we get ourselves together, that we have all the answers, that we live a certain way before you will come and meet with us. But right where we're at, you come alongside of us. We're grateful for the people who have journeyed with us in our lives and who have made an impact on us simply by being obedient to the things that you've called them to do, the questions that they've asked us, the times where they've been able to talk about their experience that has shaped us. And we thank you that we don't need a set of qualifications, we don't need a certain level of experience to be able to be those sorts of people for others, that you have placed us in specific contexts as we head out into this week in terms of the friendship circles that we've got, the families that we're a part of, the neighbourhoods where we live, the places where we work and where we study. You have placed us there because we have something to offer, the connections that we've got. And we thank you again that we don't have to have all of the answers and we don't have to see the full picture of all of that. All we need to do is daily get up and say, what is it that you would have me do today? And respond obediently to those little promptings and those little nudgings that you give us. And so I pray for those of us who in these moments have been able to see a face clearly or been able to see a name clearly or someone that we are connected with, who there is this sense where you're giving us an opportunity to just journey with them as we head into this week. We pray that you would give us courage and boldness to be able to step into that, knowing that we don't do that alone, but we do it empowered by your Holy Spirit. And for those of us where that's a bit blurry or a bit uncertain, I pray that you would help us as we get up each day to get up with open hands and to say, Jesus, where is it that you want to take me today? What are the opportunities that are around me to be able to share about the difference that you have made and are making in my life, the way in which you are impacting me, and to be able to then share that with those who are wrestling and journeying in their own worlds as well. Thanks that we do that in confidence because of who you are, not because of who we are, not because of what we're capable of, but because of what you're capable of. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.